you know, as I was thinking about what, um, what to share th- this morning, I wanted something that, that I kind of felt like, you know, where are we at as a, as a body? Where are we at as individuals? Um, and, and I landed on speaking about hope in, in, um, in the midst of suffering. And uh, so hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. I know that I, I had, a, when I was in Bible school, one of my professors said it this way. He said that there's three kind of people in the world. There's people who are just about ready to go into a trial, those who are in a trial, or those who are just coming out of a trial. And I think there's some truth there um, that, that all of us go through different uh, situations and circumstances. You know, many of us like to watch America's, uh, America's uh, funniest videos. Um, we, we like to watch them because we, we get to laugh at what crazy people, you know, crazy things that they do and stuff like that. But I don't know about you, but when I watch those, some of those videos make me cringe. You, you know, the, those ones that it's like, you know, somebody's wiping out or falling or hitting themselves. It's like, oh, that, that's got to hurt. It's like, oh, I hope they didn't get hurt too bad. You know, it's funny for us to watch other people when they do stuff like that. It's not so funny when it happens to us, though, right? Um, you know, sometimes we experience pain and suffering because of the sinful choices that we make. Um, we have to deal with the consequences. Sometimes... We, we, uh, we have to deal with the, the sinful consequences or the choices of others. Uh, we haven't done anything wrong, and yet we still suffer. I know uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I had gone out on a date. We were driving home, and um, the, a, a lady lost control in a snowy road, and she crossed over into the center line, uh, over into my lane. So we were head- actually, she was headed straight for me, and I, I swerved to the right to try to avoid her. Where her, her vehicle hit all three panels in my vehicle, and my, my van ended up being totaled. I didn't do anything wrong. I was trying to be a defensive driver. You know, I was, um, w- was trying to do what I was supposed to, and yet I, I still experienced some, some uh, consequences from that. You know, sometimes that's the way it is in life, isn't it? You know, sometimes it's not what we do. Sometimes it's someone else's carelessness or sin. Uh, but, you know, quite honestly, sometimes it's because we live in a fallen world. Um, you know, people get cancer. Uh, people lose their jobs. People, people get old and, and, and die. Um, we experience pain and, and suffering and loss. And, and really the question is, how do we respond when that happens? What does God want to do when we're experiencing pain, you know, when we're suffering? And I believe, you know, that's probably true for some of you here this morning. You know, probably some of you here this morning are hurting. And, um, you know, there's stuff that you're going through. And, and so hopefully this, can be a, this message can be an encouragement uh, to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask him to help us with that, all right? Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. Thank you, Father, for your word that that instructs us. Lord, we we pray, we thank you that we can come to you, and and we can pray, and we can lay before you things that are on our heart. And thank you, Father, for the promise that you do enter in and help. Lord, we pray for the Conover's today. We pray uh, particularly for for Pastor Conover's mom and dad, and, and just pray for... Father, that you would bring healing according to your will, or that you'd give wisdom to, for their care. And Father, you just minister your grace. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Father, for, for being here with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be spending our time in First Peter. So if you have a Bible, I want to turn to First Peter chapter 1, um, is where we're going to be for the majority of our time. Um, just as we get started, First Peter, of course, is written by Peter. Uh, if you know anything about him, you know that he did suffer. You remember he was, um, was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And after Jesus descended, uh, he preached boldly about Christ. He preached about the resurrection, the fact that we need to repent and put our faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ. And, um, and as a result of that, um, Peter experienced some persecution. He experienced being beaten. 
Um, actually, a number of times he was in prison. And um, church history tells us that, that ultimately he was a martyr. Uh, he gave his life for his faith. So, so Peter is reading to a, writing to a, to a group of Christians who have experienced trials. Uh, they're going through some persecution and suffering as a result of, of their faith. So I'm going to pick it up in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 3. So if you want to follow along with me. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last day, in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come set your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you do not see him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yeah, so what we want to do this morning is we want to consider one way not to respond uh, to evil and suffering and then look at ways that we should respond to, uh, to, to suffering. The first one is, is ways not to respond to evil and suffering. You know, when people experience evil and suffering, it's not an uncommon response for them to turn away from God. Um, some people struggle with, with how is it that a good God who's all-powerful could allow evil and suffering into the world and into my life, you know? It, and so I want to suggest to you that to turn away from God when you are suffering doesn't help. I mean, if you reject God, you're left with just naturalistic causes. I mean, if there is no God, then you would be, you'd not be able to say that anything is just or unjust. I mean, you wouldn't be able to say anything is, is, is good or bad. I mean, it, and, and what's more natural than violence? I mean, the survival of the fittest, right? I mean, the strong take it out on the weak. I mean, if there is no God, then what, what, what's wrong with violence after all? It would be perfect, perfectly natural. Josh McDowell, in, in his book entitled uh, Right from Wrong, argues that the only way to know if a human law is unjust is to compare it to a higher law, to God's law. Otherwise, it's just somebody's opinion about what they think is just or, or, or unjust, what they think is right or wrong. I mean, if there is no God, <clears throat> then you might have feelings that something is unjust, but, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a feeling. I mean, the only way to know right from wrong is to have a standard that exists outside of us, and that standard has to be God. Otherwise, Everything is subjective. Therefore, if you don't believe in God because of suffering, it creates a bigger problem than if you do believe in God. I mean, evil and suffering may be a problem if you do believe in God, but it's an even bigger one if you don't. And my point is this. To get rid of your belief in God because of evil and suffering and pain in your life doesn't help. So that's not what, don't do that. We shouldn't turn away from God. So, so what should we do? Well, I would suggest to you two ways that we can face evil and suffering. And the first one is to look to the cross, to look to the cross. Back in our passage in 1 uh, Peter chapter 1, look at verses 6 and 7. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, so first of all, we see that God desires for suffering to strengthen our faith, not to destroy it. God wants to refine or purify our, our, our faith. And notice it says, these have come to prove the genuineness of, of your faith. God doesn't want us to run away from him in trial. He wants us to run to him. I mean, Peter likens this suffering and pain to a, to a fiery furnace where gold is, is refined. I mean, you know when you're going through when a, a deep trial, a, a fiery trial, it, it feels like the heat's being turned up, doesn't it? And sometimes it feels like you're going to be, be consumed in it. It's an interesting metaphor for pain and suffering. I mean, the idea here is that the gold is heated up, and as a result, the dross all comes to the top, and, and, and then, and then the, the goldsmith takes and he skims the dross off the top, and then it's heated up again, all right? And the dross comes up, and he skims off, off that dross off the top, and he gets all the impurities out of it, you know, until it's pure. And so, so Peter's using this metaphor for how we might grow in our faith. You know, <clears throat> Peter used this metaphor, but actually, this actually occurred in the Old Testament. I mean, you remember the story. In, in Daniel chapter 3, we have the story there about, about the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, how he, he sets up this gold, this gold statue, and he tells everybody to bow down to it. And there are these three young Jewish boys, and they say, well, they're not going to do it. So they don't bow down, and, and the king finds out about it, and he says, I don't think you guys understand. You, you, I'm going to give you another chance to bow down, and these guys refuse. And, and Nebuchadnezzar gets really, really angry. And, you know, when you get angry, you get stupid, right? And so what he does is he heats up, he heats up this furnace seven times more than he's ever done before. And it, it says it's so hot that the soldiers that throw these guys into the fire die. So you can imagine how hot the furnace must have been. And Shadrach and, Amish, and Meshach and Abednego are in the furnace. And it says the king, who's at a safe distance, he looks into the fiery furnace. And he says this, look, I see four men walking in the midst of the, of the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. I, I mean, what happened when God's children are cast into the fiery furnace? Scripture tells us God reveals himself, right? He was right there with them in the midst of it. You recall in, in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, God gives this promise to the children of Israel about trials. He says this, he says, Fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I mean, notice this promise. This promise does not say that, that if you go through the fire, this promise says, when you go through the fire, you will not be consumed. So the first thing we see here is God desires for suffering to strengthen our faith. A and secondly, your expectations about it make all the difference. I mean, let's say that I take you to a motel. And, and before I show you the room, I tell you, this is the nicest room in the hotel. Matter of fact, this is the honeymoon suite. And, and we open the door and you go in and you look around and it's kind of sufficient. You know, it's got a bed and a TV and stuff like that. But you're like... This is the honeymoon suite? This place looks like a dump. Well, let's say I take you to the very same room, all right? But before we enter into the room, I say to you, this is a prison cell. And so we go into the room and you look around, right? So everything's exactly the same. It's like, wow, this is pretty nice. It's like, what's the difference, right? 
Your expectation. Your expectations, all, it makes all the difference. Same circumstance, but your expectation, look, you look at it totally different. So this is the question, what is your expectation when it comes to pain and, and suffering as a follower of Jesus Christ? You know, do you believe that the Christian life is, once you come into Christ, you have faith in Christ, that life is easy and pain-free? I mean, the testimony we just watched, Yang's like, yeah, that's not the case, is it? Scriptures are very clear that just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're not going to have trials. As a matter of fact, Scripture says exactly the opposite. It says that as you when you become a child of God, you should expect persecution. You should expect trials. You know, sometimes when people are suffering, they, they try to run from the pain and the suffering instead of acknowledging it as being allowed by the sovereign hand of God. You know, I know that I have talked to um, spouses before who are struggling in their marriages, and I've had them say something like this to me. I know God loves me, and he wouldn't want to, me to put up with this. God wants me to be happy, and so he wants me to be out of this. And so they use that kind of an argument to justify running away from pain and, and suffering instead of walking through it with God's help. And I'm not trying to underestimate how painful and hard that is. But the rest of 1 Peter instructs people on how to walk through unjust, fiery trials in, these, in, in work, in, in relationships, and even in marriage. And so I want to encourage all of us, right? I would encourage you to go ahead and, and to read the rest of 1 Peter. Just don't do it right now, but, but there's some good stuff there, all right? All right, now, now you may think that all this sounds wonderful, but, but how do we know that it's true? I mean, how do we know that we will not be consumed when we walk through the fiery trials? Because oftentimes it feels like we're going to be consumed, doesn't it? Well, I want to suggest to you that's why we need to look to the cross. The cross tells us how far God will go with us in our afflictions. The cross tells us how far God will go with us in our afflictions. Back, back to our passage. Look at verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 1. It says, concerning this, this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing them when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. You know, only Christianity of all the religions in the world says that God will become vulnerable and will take on suffering, pain, and death for us. I mean, David Platt, he's an author, he, he recounts this story of, of a time when he was in India, and he got into a conversation with two men, one was a Hindu and one was a Muslim, and he said to him, he said, so if I understand your religion right, you, you basically picture that, that God's up on top of the mountain, and, and, and that you have to work really, really hard to try to get to the top, to the mountain, to get to God. And the, the Hindu man and, and the, the Muslim man looked at him and yeah, he said, that, that's a pretty fair representation of what we believe. And so David Platt looked at him and said this. He said, what would you think of a God who left the mountain and instead he came down to you? And these men looked at him and said, well, that would truly be an amazing God. And David Platt got a smile on his face and he said, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what our God has done for us. When you look at the cross, what do you see? I mean, if you've ever experienced unjust treatment, when you look at the cross, we see Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, who never did anything wrong, receiving unjust ridicule and beating and ultimately an unjust death. 
I mean, if you've ever lost a loved one, when you look at the cross, we see God the Father experiencing the death of his dearly loved son. I mean, possibly you're screaming out in your, in your suffering and your pain, God, why, why? When we look at the cross, we see Jesus Christ screaming out in suffering and pain and saying, my God, my God, why? If you've ever felt rejected and abandoned, when you look at the cross, we hear Jesus Christ crying out, my, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you rejected me? Christ severed everything that we have ever suffered and more. I mean, Jesus didn't just suffer physically. Jesus also suffered emotionally and spiritually. He experienced infinitely, in a cosmic way, the punishment that all our sins deserved. He was being cast out of God's presence and experiencing infinite pain as a result of that. I mean, think about it like this. When you and I sin, we experience guilt, we experience shame, and, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction. But it, for us, it's possible that our hearts become somewhat hardened and we don't experience those to the same degree. But think about Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Jesus had never sinned. And on that cross, he didn't just experience the consequence of a few sins. He experienced all the sins of all the world placed on him all at once. And I don't think we can begin to understand the suffering of Christ on the cross. And so we go to the cross and we can ask God, why are you allowing evil and, and suffering to continue? And you know what, quite honestly, the cross may not answer the question to us as to why, but it certainly can answer the question as to what it cannot be. The answer cannot be because God doesn't care about us and love us. Since Jesus went into the infinite furnace that would consume us, we can have assurance that he is entering into our personal furnaces along with us today, even when we feel like he may not be there. No matter how hot it seems, Jesus is walking with you. That's why the writer of Hebrews can pen these words. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted or tried in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter references the example of Jesus Christ's suffering as a way to help us in our suffering. So take a look. So across the page in my Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18, beginning in verse 18, it says this, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And it says this, then it says, verse 22, it says, He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I love this passage. I want you to notice what he says here in verse 23. 
Peter is referring to someone who was suffering unjustly. And it, it's exactly what happened to Jesus. And notice how Jesus responds here. It says, he didn't respond with insults. He didn't retaliate. He, he gave no threats. He deserved none of this. And yet, what did he do? It says, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You know, when we're going through suffering, especially unjust suffering, we need to do exactly the same thing. We need to entrust our lives to God. He loves us. He proved that at the cross. And we need to remember that he is a just judge. I mean, that was the point of the cross. He just didn't overlook sin. I mean, Jesus bore our, bore our sin in our place so that we could be forgiven and God could still be just. And now in our suffering, we need to trust that he is a just judge, that he's a just God, that one day he will make all justices right, that God knows the truth even if nobody else knows. And because of the cross, we can trust him. There is tremendous comfort and encouragement in those verses. So we need to look to the cross. Now secondly, I want to suggest to you that we need to look to our inheritance. You know, we can't grow through the furnace without hope. And the hope being talked about here is not this, oh, I hope so. No, it's the promise of something future. And it's, it's not only described as hope, but, but it's described as living hope. You know, since we've become Christians, we can be certain that we will receive our inheritance because of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection guarantees it. This living hope then gives us the assurance that we need and empowers us so that we can make it through. You know, often, as time goes on, hope fades. And, and eventually, we may, we may even lose hope. But but since this is a living hope, it grows over time because it's secured through us by a living Savior who walks with us in trials. So notice, notice what it says here, verses 3 to 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice it says here, this, this inheritance is secure. I mean, have you ever made a hotel reservation and, and when you get there, they say, I'm sorry, sir, we, we don't have any reservation for you. you ever, ever that happen? I mean, that's really frustrating, you know? We don't ever have to be, we don't have to be afraid or worried that that's going to happen to us, Right? Our inheritance is kept in heaven by God. It's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. I mean, P Peter's words here remind us of, of Paul's exhortation to the Colossians to focus on, on their inheritance. In, in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, a number of years ago, I, I was having a conversation with Pastor Matt Heron, who is the pastor at, at Sojourn, uh, a church here in town, and he was counseling a man who came into his office with no hope. He had just gotten uh, um, a, a diagnosis of terminal cancer, a and Matt helped him to grab a hold of this truth, and this is what he said to him. He said, 
You have already been healed by God in the way that matters most. And as a result of that, that, that man grabbed a hold of that hope and faith. And, and, and Matt said he was a powerful testament to others in their church as he battled with this cancer. Our hope is secure. The next thing we see here then is, is the promise of, of a new heavens and a new earth. I mean, Peter then speaks of, this, of a coming salvation that, that is ready to be, be revealed in the last time. I mean, what's he referring to? He's talking about uh, uh, new heavens and a new earth. I mean, Revelation 21 and 22, they, they talk about how this earth is going to be consumed by fire, but there's going to be a new heaven and, and a new earth, and we're going to receive new resurrected bodies, and we're going to dwell there forever. I mean, what a glorious day that's going to be. Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. In verses 53 to 57, Paul says this, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with the Im immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in listening to a message by Tim Keller on these verses, he says it this way. He says, the resurrection isn't recompense for all the suffering and pain that we've experienced in this life. He says, no, the resurrection is restoration of this earth and our bodies as the way it was intended to be from the very beginning. You know, suffering also makes heaven a more glorious place for us when we think about it. I mean, notice Paul says that death is swallowed up in victory. He doesn't just say death is defeated. He could say that. He says death is swallowed up. You know, when you swallow something, you actually, you actually take it in, right? And as a result of taking in, it causes you to grow. You know, when we eat food, right, we, we take it in, it causes us to grow physically. And the idea here is that, that, that death, is, death has not just been conquered. The idea is that suffering and pain that we experience and consume in this life will make heaven all the greater and all the more glorious, and we grow as a result of it. I mean, I mean maybe I can explain it like this. A number of years ago, we had a family who attends our church who lost a son. They were, they were killed in a car accident. The first Sunday that, 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 that those parents came back to church, we were having communion. And, and after the service, the mom came up to me and shared this with me. She, she said to me, this, as a result of the suffering and the loss of her son, she now knew how God must have felt as she, he watched his son die on the cross. Her suffering gave her a greater love and appreciation for God. And that is what God wants to do in all of our suffering. He wants, in all of our pain, he wants to take and cause it heaven to be more glorious to us. I mean, Peter isn't just saying that he wants us to long for heaven, you know, during times of suffering. And, and, and like, like, you know, like, I used to long that the Lord would return when I had an exam that day, you know. No, he wants more than that. There's something more, you know, that there, there's nothing the matter with, with longing for heaven. There's nothing the matter with that. But Peter wants us to know that we don't just walk through these trials alone. God is with us. God loves us. We can trust him. And as a result, we, can, we see these glimpses of glory even in the midst of our suffering. So much so that we can get to the place where we can rejoice. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I believe that's why, why um, Paul in, in Philippians 3.10 could say it this way. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We get that, man. I want his power. Yes, the power of his resurrection, but he doesn't stop there. He says, he says and also, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to him in his death. I, I think what Paul's saying here is he allowed the suffering that he endured to endear him all the more to Jesus Christ. I mean, you could ask, how is that possible? Well, Paul realized that even though he went through intense suffering, he knew that Christ suffered so much more than he did. And why did Christ allow himself to suffer? I mean, Christ loved us, and he knew that through his wounds we would be healed. And Paul's suffering, when it comes into focus, right, because he sees Christ suffering, it helps him to love Jesus even more. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He says, a little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. So I want to end this morning with this uh, story of, of Stephen. If you're familiar with the story, he was the first martyr of the, of, the, uh, of the early church. And in Acts chapter 7, right before Stephen was about to be stoned to death, this is what it says. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, it says he looked up, to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I, I, I want you to notice what, what Jesus is doing when, when Stephen is suffering, when he's being persecuted for his faith. What does it say Jesus is doing? He's not seated at the right hand of the throne of God, which is typically where he would be. It says he is standing at the right hand of God. Do you realize Jesus is very engaged? He's not just some spectator. He is very engaged when we suffer. He is not just passively watching, but he is a very present help in our time of need. I mean, just imagine. Imagine what it would be like if we were a group of people who, when we were confronted with pain, and, and sorrow ran to God and trusted fully in him. I mean, just imagine the testimony to others that we would be as a people, right, that we demonstrated hope and peace even in the midst of pain and sorrow. Just imagine what it would be like if we had joy in, in the midst of suffering. People would scratch their heads and they look like, what's the matter with you? And you could tell them, you know what's mad with me is Jesus. The scriptures tell us to expect pain and suffering in this life. And this morning we've been reminded that God wants to use them in our lives to grow us and to prepare us for glory. So when you're going through pain and trials, and I believe there's probably somebody here who are hurting today, look to the cross. Be assured God loves you. Christ's willingness to go through the pain of the cross should ensure you that he will never desert you. And he will walk through you in your suffering. And secondly, look to your inheritance. Because Christ not only died but rose again from the dead, you and I can be assured that we will have eternal life. We can be filled with hope because Christ not only walks with you, right, to give you all that he needs, he walks through the trial with you as well. May God give us glimpses, even in the midst of our suffering, of his glory. 
So just three real takeaways for, for uh, application. Number one, examine your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you are suffering as a result of sin in your life. And if you are, repent of that. Acknowledge you're wrong. Take steps to turn away from it. Thank God that you can experience forgiveness and then begin to practice that which is right. So examine your life. Number two, rejoice. Rejoice in your suffering. I know that's easier said than done. But if you are suffering and it's not because of sin, recognize that if you respond rightly in a way that's pleasing to God, you will be rewarded. And realize God is up to something in your life. He wants to purify your faith. That's something to rejoice about. And thirdly, thank God for being with you in the midst of your suffering. He promises to, to walk with you through your suffering. It's okay to acknowledge, I don't like this. I don't understand this. This is hard. But can you give thanks? Can you be grateful that he is right there with you, empowering you and helping you? Thank God for being there with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would encourage us from the truths of your word. Lord, none of us likes suffering. None of us likes pain. But, oh God, I pray, help us. Help us not to run away from it. Help us to not turn away from you and think that some strange thing is happening. I pray, Father, help us to run to you. God, I pray, help us to look to the cross. Lord, help us to be reminded of what took place there. That you made a way possible for us. Lord, to be forgiven even while we were sinners. And Lord, Lord, you expressed your love to us in just ways that we can't deny. Father, I pray as well that you would help us to look to our, our inheritance. Lord, may we have hope even as we go through this, Lord, that you are preparing for us a place. Encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who maybe they're, they're really struggling today, Lord, that you would minister your grace to them. Assure them that you are there and that you are walking with them through this. We pray this in Jesus' name.